Hello, this is Radio Free Canada. I'm your host, Kevin Annett. It's Sunday, August 27th, 2017. Welcome again to all of you. You can follow our work here every Sunday, of course, 3 p.m. Pacific. Follow the Tribunal website, itccs.org, for background as to our very long campaign to expose crimes against children and humanity, and murderbydecree.com, which is the archive of concrete evidence that the Canadian government, the Catholic, Anglican, and United Churches, and its sponsors in Rome and London deliberately wiped out over 60,000 children and got away with it. Now, of course, we're not going to let them get away with it. We've got a long-term campaign, and we've had such an effect that even popes have stepped down in response to the campaign we started. Pope uh, Benedict's resignation in February 2013 was one of the consequences of our campaign. So please tune in, learn, and take action based on what you hear. Now, for the next two weeks, August 27th and September 3rd, we're playing important programs on how the government and court system is criminal and actually rigged against the people, but also what some people are doing about it by taking back power into the local community. Today we'll hear how the Attorney General for Pennsylvania, Kathleen Kane, was framed and imprisoned on fake charges after she exposed high-level child trafficking in the Pennsylvania government and Catholic Church, involving politicians, priests, and top Vatican officials. Next week, September 3rd, we'll hear from two Pennsylvania women who are fighting the fracking pollution of their land and water by a big energy company with the help of federal courts. Well, how are they fighting back? By declaring a local home rule charter that nullifies the court decisions allowing the pollution and returns sovereignty to the local, to the local residents, including by granting the right to stop the fracking through direct nonviolent action. In other words, we're laying out the problem and presenting a solution. Now, these shows are a preamble for what's going to come on Sunday, September 10th. Our program then will announce a new initiative being uh, announced on September 6th around the world, an initiative by the International Tribunal of Crimes of Church and State and common law activists in Europe and North America. That initiative involves bringing sanctions against the government of Canada, England, and the Vatican for these crimes. Now, please tune in, especially September 10th, for more of that. Follow our... Uh, recent work through our books that you can find on Amazon.com, especially the recent one, uh, The New Covenant, Here We Stand, and the book Fallen, The Story of the Vancouver Four. You can find all of that on Amazon.com. Just put in my name, Kevin Annett, and you'll see them. Now, also, remember, people, take action on this. If you want to write back and be involved in our campaign, write to republicofkanata at gmail.com. And I hope you enjoyed today's show and next week's show as well. We'll be back live, of course, on the September 10th program to talk about the new actions in September and the new campaign to expose and stop forever these crimes against children and humanity and our liberties. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed today's program. We'll be back soon. Vermonters come down with your breeches of deerskin and jackets of brown. With your red woolen caps and your moccasins come to the gathering summons of trumpet and drum. Come down with your rifle, let gray wolf and fox. Welcome to Radio Free Canada. I'm your host, Kevin Hannett, with Ryan Gable back on December 11th. And that is the Ballad of the Green Mountain Boys that's going out to all of you patriots out there on any side of the border. And 
remembering that, we uh, start off with a quote from Thomas Paine. The highest duty of a patriot is to protect his country from its government. And that's a big part of the theme today, where we're going to be looking at the case of a crusading attorney general in Pennsylvania who was fired and jailed after she stumbled across a global child-killing network, after she had successfully prosecuted state attorneys and Catholic officials who were trafficking in children. That woman was Kathleen Kane, and her fate today is indicative of anyone, any honest official in the system who discovers and pursues crimes against children in their own backyard that involve the Roman Catholic Church. We're going to be looking at that by discussing the whole matter with a Pennsylvania activist, a longtime activist, Alana Hartsock, who is our guest today. And um, Ryan, welcome. Welcome hey back. Hey there, Kevin. Well, you know, I, uh, I wanted to flag two dates uh, uh, before we bring Alana on, two dates in December. Actually, two days ago, December 9th, was the day in Canada in 1837 when patriots, including my great-great-great-grandfather, Philip, picked up their rifles and tried to overthrow the Crown Authority. And they, their 1776 was defeated, and we're, we've been living under the legacy of that for many years, including the genocidal legacy. But we always mark December 9th as the Patriot's Day in both English and French Canada. And uh, that's one of the days. The other one, of course, is going to be a topic of upcoming shows. Uh, December 24th is the 70th anniversary of the murder of Maisie Shaw, a little Indian girl at the Puerto Bernie United Church Indian Residential School who was kicked to her death by Principal Alfred Caldwell uh, that Christmas Eve, 1946. Her story, as witnessed by Harriet Nahani, was the first time, the first story that came out about the murder of a child in these death camps called Indian Residential Schools. And on December 25th, which is two weeks today, we're going to be talking that on the air because our groups in various parts of Canada will be picketing and even occupying United Churches in memory of Maisie Shaw. So uh, I wanted to flag those two dates, Ryan. Any thoughts or comments before we get to Alana? Yeah, just an initial thought on the story uh, about the woman, uh, I believe her name was Kathleen, correct? Kathleen Kane, yep. Yeah, and Kathleen Kane. So that's a story that has not gotten very much publicity whatsoever in both uh, mainstream or alternative media. And of course, following these types of stories, often uh, I try to stay up to date on any type of breaking news relating to this subject. And what I've been seeing in both mainstream and alternative news is a focus, what I've called a psychological operation or a PSYOP, which often is conducted by governments or intelligence agencies to direct people's attention away from credible stories such as this and to focus the attention of the public on stories. If Whether you're in America, Canada, or anywhere else around the world, many people have probably heard about something called Pizzagate which I believe is a psychological operation meant to deter focus on other stories, such as this case of Kathleen, which is backed up by far more evidence and credibility rather than just a couple of people on Twitter or on Facebook sharing right. posts that they've made up themselves. So that's just that, very key to recognize. Yes, Ron, that's a very important point because, you know, of course, we found the same thing in the work we do. We bring out the hard evidence and the testimonies, and suddenly the Internet is flooded with all of these allegations that can't be substantiated, as if to, to uh, mix up what lawyers call creating a paper trail, where you can't distinguish the real yes. evidence from the, from the fake. And uh, certainly that's going on with Kathleen Kane. Now, what's interesting about her, and we'll, we'll talk about this with Elena in just a minute when I bring her on, but um, Kathleen Kane not only discovered that prosecutors in Pennsylvania and church officials were all involved in child porn, in trafficking children, and so on. But there was a secret archive operated by Bishops Hogan and Adamic in Pennsylvania 
that confirmed the existence of this Vatican policy of crim and solicitanus, where any evidence of a child being raped by a priest is to be buried and locked away by the local bishop. Now, the amazing thing about Kathleen Kane is she named crim and solicitanus in the case against these Catholic officials. And she was also looking into the cover-up around the Sandusky trial, Jerry Sandusky, and how the very prosecutors who she had taken down were involved in covering up the Sandusky case. And so this has a lot of repercussions, which we're going to get into, but uh, that's a very important uh, very important point that you brought out. Yeah, no and, doubt. And if you investigate whether it's Sandusky or Jeffrey Epstein, you find a connection to a past president such as Bill Clinton. You find a connection to the royal family, Prince Charles, Jimmy Savile in the U.K., and so many others. It's a big network, and if you begin to connect the dots, you see that there's much more to it than isolated news cases. Absolutely. Uh, anyway, just uh, on that, too, I wanted to flag to people, uh, new listeners, uh, our websites where you can follow the whole history of our campaign for over 20 years is the International Tribunal of Crimes of Church and State. That's itccs.org, and also murderbydecree.com. Um, one of the four books we produced this year, and um, before the end I'm going to plug our fourth book, uh, a kind of comic thing I wrote called The History of White People in Canada, which will be out this week. But uh, anyway, that's a very important background for folks. ITCCS.org, murderbydecree.com. We're really looking at a global child-killing network that has been around for centuries. And this Kathleen Kane case is yet another example of it, really, when you pull back all the different layers. Yeah, and the more often we see disinformation through social media or through main or alternative forms of media, that typically means the more and more that it comes out that there has been some type of relevant information that has been released. And as you said, there's an attempt to muddy the waters, per se, so that we don't focus on the attention, uh, or focus our attention, rather, on subjects that are pertinent forms of evidence and instead focus on the uh, the uh, subjects or focus on the so-called evidence that's purely speculation as opposed to testimony, documentation, like Crimin Solicitanus, or uh, other factors that are similar. Exactly. Um, and that crim and solicitanus document, again, to flag to people, it's something the mainstream press will never talk about, but it's really the standard, it's the uh, policy document telling every Catholic in the world that when children are raped, uh, it's to be covered up and the local bishop is to conceal it. In other words, these guys going on trial are just the local flunkies enacting a policy coming right from the Pope. And that's... Uh, and yet it comes directly from the Pope, that's right, the Office of the Highest Pontifical Secrecy. And that's you can why find you, that's that. Of course, why you? Sorry, you can find that document right online, murderbydecree.com. We have have it listed there. Um, sorry, Ryan. Alana uh, is now on the air with us. Hello, Alana. Hello, Kevin. Hi. It's good to have you with us. Thank you. Good Do you to want to here. say to folks a little bit of your background and and what you know of the the whole Kathleen Kane case? Well, okay. I, my background is I've been an economic justice advocate with a very strong focus on land uh, tenure, uh, justice and land, and the problem of resource and land grabbing, and how we can essentially have a public finance system that collects the, the surplus profits, the land rent, land value tax, instead of the uh, putting taxes on labor and production. So that's also been a conspiracy <laughs> called right. that's been repressed that should be known about. And then I, I did run for Congress as a Green Party candidate in 2001 and in 2014 as the uh, Democratic Party congressional candidate for Pennsylvania District 9. So uh, I've been uh, doing the best I can against this, as we all have, against right. 
this corrupt and you, world. And, of course, you're, you're a Pennsylvania resident, and, and this yes, whole Yes, I'm in south-central Pennsylvania in Franklin yes. County. Okay. And now Kathleen Kane was the first female attorney general and the first Democrat uh, elected it, to that post. Is that right? Exactly, since they allowed uh, to be an elective position in 1980. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, she, yep. No, go ahead. You talk. Well, she... She campaigned on a promise to investigate the former governor, Tom Corbett's handling of the state investigation into the pedophilia allegations against the former Penn State assistant coach, Jerry Sandusky. And probably many listeners will be aware of, of that, Penn State and Jerry Sandusky. And in, in the course of her uh, looking into that, she came across the fact that dozens of um, Pennsylvania public officials, many very high level, had been uh, exchanging hundreds, hundreds, hundreds of, of pornographic, racist, and misogynist uh, emails. Uh, she was getting them from the uh, years 2008 to 2012. So essentially she became a whistleblower uh, about this case. Uh, before she entered into the attorney general work, though, she was already prosecuting successfully uh, pedophiles uh, who uh, pedophiles from uh, mostly northeastern Pennsylvania, I think it was, and dozens. She was having dozens of people uh, imprisoned, and she was, had gotten quite good at that. I think she's she's a mother of two boys. I think she comes at this from a great concern to protect children, right. and one of the main things the Attorney General of Pennsylvania is supposed to do, and you'll see it on their website, is to protect children. So clearly, following that mandate. But in uh, pursuing this issue as a primary focus, all these horrific, very, very hard pornographic emails were she uncovered. And so once uh, she started talking about it, a number of public officials resigned. Uh, one high-level public official who uh, was court-ordered to um, just uh, uh, stop practicing until he was investigated that was October 20, 2014. October 20, 2014, it really came out about Seamus uh, McCaffrey, uh, a Pennsylvania Supreme Court Justice in this porn gate. And he resigned almost immediately. One week later, he resigned. So it couldn't really be thoroughly investigated. But he uh, was able to keep all of his uh, pensions and retirement benefits for well over $100,000 a year. And then in looking at his bio, I came across the fact that he's 33-degree Mason. Mm -hmm. So following some of these secret orders, and so there's a lot of good people in, who are Masons who aren't aware of what's happening at that top level, but that 33-degree level seems to be the level where uh, some of this um, elite, um, very sordid, satanic, uh, often pedophile activity happens. Is well, that exactly. what you become aware of, Kevin? Absolutely. And I remember when I was in Pennsylvania earlier, I believe it was in March and April of this year, and, and you were, we were sitting down talking about all this. What I found really interesting was that her office, for the first time, was referring to the Vatican policy of crimen solicitanus. And, right. in fact, I, I remember the article the, uh, the uh, Tribune Democrat wrote when they interviewed me. In the same right. article... The prosecutor admitted that they looked at canon law, and in other words, the policy telling these bishops that they have to cover up, create a secret archive of all the information yeah. on these child-raping priests. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Now, I think that's significant. You know, once you're naming Rome, you're going to the source of the stuff, and you're sending off a lot of alarm bells. Absolutely. So there's several paths into this corruption at highest levels, and 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 you've really been on the path of looking into the Catholic Church, and then the Masonic path at that high level is another one. So it's easily there's several ways into this kind of right. matrix. Yep. So uh, the fact that she had her prosecutor very well aware of Crimin Solicitanus certainly would have set off the alarms, because uh, as this thing proceeded, uh, she made a lot of enemies. And one of the enemies was the guy who was a former prosecutor in the Sandusky case under Governor Corbett. Let me see. Was find that uh, Frank Fina? Uh, I know there was there was a few people in her office who she riled up. Fina, exactly. Named. That was Frank Fina. Frank F-I-N-A. Fina. F-I-N-A. Yeah. 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 So a, a real big battle started with them because uh, she she dropped one of his cases that he'd been pursuing because she thought it was kind of. Uh, the, not really a legitimate case, so he got very angry at that. And then she made a misstep. Uh, she um, brought out some information from a grand jury or, or enabled that information to come out or requested somehow, mm-hmm. and that was picked up by the Philadelphia Inquiry. Now, this kind of thing normally wouldn't be a really big deal, these grand juries, uh, you know, leaking a little bit from a grand jury, yeah. but since she already had all these enemies... Oh my gosh, they were really ready, really, really to nail her. It seems like so a relatively minor. Her. Huh? Yeah, it what? seems like a relatively minor thing. Um, it is a relatively minor thing. I mean, a slap on the wrist type of thing is what you might normally get. Right. Or you know, something, not not a big deal, not 8 to 12 years, which is well, what she got in then. October. Prison. And Ryan, jump in at any point if you have any comments or questions. But, um, sure, sure. Oh, I'm just I'm just sitting back listening at the moment, but I will. Okay. Uh, tell us about what happened to her. How was she? Uh, I know she was forced to resign, but then she was charged and brought to trial and all that. Yeah, her trial was uh, just uh, I think it was October 24th. Uh, now she's out on bail of seventy five thousand dollars cash while it's being being repealed, you know, the, 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 mm-hmm. but she she was in the courtroom uh, very distraught, begging that they just give her house arrest, uh, that please don't rip me away from my, my boys, her 14 and 15-year-old. Her 15-year-old was even there on, on, on testifying that, please don't take my mother away, she's my rock. And the 14-year-old was too upset he couldn't even go into the courtroom. So she's a um, fairly recently divorced single mom now and uh, facing this kind of, I I call it a witch hunt. I mean, it's just uh, when a strong woman, um, it could have been a man at this point, but in this case it was a woman who stands on the truth. She's a truth seeker and a whistleblower in a high position. Uh, They're going to find every reason to shame her. Make an example of her. Tom? Make an example of her. She was a law license two years ago, and she still, the governor uh, said that she was still able to be attorney general without a law license, so she continued. And as part of when the Altoona case, the Altoona Archdiocese, all the pedophile priests came up, that was still under her jurisdiction as AT. 
Well, that's right, and that's when the information came out about the secret archives that this Bishop Hogan and Adamic had operated, and how it was a Vatican policy to do that. And I also found it interesting that some of the guys she had named, like this Frank Fina, they had been involved as well in... The, do you remember the William Lynn case in Philadelphia, where he was a Monsignor, the highest church official, ever to be named as having covered up child abuse and destroying records of, of child rape? Uh, William Lynn, and during his trial... Uh, once again, the prosecutor was blocking any evidence that might have linked Rome. Uh, this Cardinal Bellavacqua, who was going to testify yes. that, in fact, there was a Rome involvement in the cover-up of these child, you know, child abuses, he died conveniently. He was summoned into court, and then he died. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so, yeah. you know, and, it, and it, it was an investigation. Oh, they did an autopsy, like, a few hours after he died, at 11.30 p.m. Right. And, uh, I mean, so clear- can you imagine? That? No, I don't mean they did an autopsy. <laughs> I mean they drained his blood. <laughs> they, no, they didn't do an autopsy with this cardinal. They, got right. they did do the autopsy. They prepared him for the for the for death for the mortuary. I mean, the, the thing is, Alain, it reads like a mobster novel. I mean, for example, there was a district attorney, Ray Greikar, who was who had been involved in dropping charges against some of the Sandusky people. Then he got a guilty conscience, and he said he was going to go public with the whole Sandusky cover-up. He vanishes. His body is found in the Susquehanna yes. River with his laptop missing. Right. Right. So, I mean, and then they found the laptop, but without the hard drive, so without right. any evidence. Yeah, and that happened right before he was come, going to come out with all the information. Yeah. About, okay, Elena. About, I, I, yeah, go ahead. I just have a comment and a question for you. Uh, how, as an activist or somebody that researches these subjects, how do you go about differentiating between what is fact and often what is fiction in the sense of disinformation put out by an establishment or by certain individuals to mislead people that are investigating these crimes? How do you go about differentiating between the two? Well, I mean, even preparing for talking with tonight, with you tonight, uh, I just did a web search, and uh, so I come up with mainstream media like Pittsburgh Post Gazette, uh, and even that's a main main you know Post Gazette Pittsburgh. Uh, it even said uh, talked about uh, uh, that the Justice McCaffrey I mentioned the 33 degree Mason has the pathological symptoms of a sociopath. So if you look at mainstream media, you kind of see what truth they are putting out. And then you then you look at um, uh, some of the uh, alternative people, like um, let's see, uh, uh, Wayne, Wayne, Madsen, Wayne, Wayne, Wayne Madsen report. Yep. Mm-hmm. And Wayne Madsen was uh, uh, here some time ago when there was a protest on steps and she, of, of the Capitol of Har- in, in Harrisburg, and and he was with uh, the friends of uh, Kathleen Kane. So he's a very very excellent. Uh, investigative journalist. He's pretty well respected in a lot of circles, so kind of hold up what he discovered and what he has to say about it, and and then you just follow the story and make the connections, like the guy that Kevin just mentioned that was a uh, uh, the, the main prosecutor, what, what is it called, for the county, uh, for Center County, yeah. where Penn State's located. Right, his, his strange death. And then the strange death of another person who was going to testify, the Monsignor in, in Philadelphia. Yeah, he was old and he was sick, but right before he's going to testify, it's a suspicious time to die. Mm-hmm. So you start kind of seeing patterns. You start right. seeing patterns. And, and like even with 
with the enormous thing coming up as being called Pizzagate, Pizzagate. It connects the dots. And, and some of my Democratic or liberal friends uh, just simply won't look at this. They don't want to believe any of it. And uh, you don't have to believe, or some of it might be inaccurate. Maybe maybe that pizza restaurant in Washington really, it, maybe that's a false story that got planted just to make the investigators into the, the pedophile rings uh, make make it look like it's all false. But then you well, got the to move from, too. yeah. Huh? The reality, too, is you just have to look at the history of an institution like the Catholic Church. And this is the norm of how you operate. I mean, even they even, yeah. even knock off their own popes all the time on a routine basis. So it, yeah. it's not a stretch at all to realize that, that, that these things go on. And um, what's very significant about Kathleen Kane is she's been going through the same treatment that anybody like uh, any prominent official, like Laurent Louis, a member of parliament in Belgium, started naming the names, he's gone through exactly the same thing, barred from Parliament, facing charges, uh, all this smear on the about him um, hating Jews, and like the mainstream smear going on him is exactly what they do with Kathleen Kane, where they try to humiliate the person and break them publicly. The main way you do that is by going after your kids. You know, and, um, you know, so this is this fits the pattern, definitely. It fits the pattern of a whistleblower, too. Yeah. A few months ago, I was in Washington at a peace conference, and uh, there were awards given, and, and the, uh, John Kiriakou received an award. Now, he was a former CIA counterterrorism officer who was an investigator, senior investigator for Senate Foreign Relations Committee, sixth whistleblower indicted by the Obama administration. What, was, what did he do? He, he opposed the Bush administration's torture program, and he kind of slipped up and he named a name. He named a name on mainstream media, so they nailed him and put him in jail for a while. And then once you get, like, these networks of whistleblowers, that's where you also start seeing the pattern. And so, hence, John Kiriakou wrote this September 29, 2016 article about Kathleen Kane because he was recognizing a similar pattern. So right. whether, whether it's a pedophile ring or, or the lying and corruption uh, around what's happening, getting us into all these wars, the perpetration of wars, perpetration uh, of of, of uh, torture, you know, all these sordid things. They, they, you can kind of connect, start connecting the dots because it, oh, they all relate to the horrific abuse of power right. and, a, and a mentality that's absolutely psychopathic that somehow at those high levels there's like a gate, <laughs> and if yep. you're sufficiently psychopathic, you get through the gate and you get to wield more power. Whereas it's if you show a conscience, demonic or evil. If, if you're uh, like Kathleen Kane, well, to shine the light, huh? If you're if you're like Kathleen Kane and show that you have a conscience, you have to be made an example of. And this is exactly what what they did with me or anybody else. They have a public trial and they humiliate you in public and destroy your credibility yeah. for good, so you'll yeah. never come back. And um, I want to ask you, where do things stand now with Kathleen Kane? She She's not in jail, obviously. Uh, when does she go to jail? Like, what's happening with that? I don't know the date, Kevin. I haven't been able to find. Uh, it's on appeal. That's a 75000 cash bail that she paid. I'm actually trying to find a way to track her down and see if I could even talk to her. Right. Or go meet with her. I will go drive wherever she is and meet with her with some other people who would like to do that as well. Is she? Uh, uh, does she have a support group around her? Have people come forward publicly and supported her after what I, I've looked if there's anything called, like, Friends of Kathleen Kane. Yep. Uh, 
I'm, she herself said the problem was she did this without enough support. She didn't have an army. When she launched this against all the corruption, this corruption in Pennsylvania, uh, if I can find it. Well, but, it's time to build an army herself, around her. Her I mean, statement was she didn't yeah. have the support for what she was up against. And here, here it is. I ran for this office because I thought there was a problem. My mistake was that I knew it was bad, but I didn't know it was this bad. And I didn't have enough support. My army wasn't big enough. Exactly. Well, it's time to build that army. If they can take out somebody like her, they can take out anybody, and that's the point of all this. Um, It is. I have a number now for uh, the Pennsylvania uh, Democratic Women's Committee, of which I'm a member of the... Franklin County group, and I go regularly, uh, trying to get them to really pay attention to this. So I'll put it on the agenda the next time we meet. It'd be interesting uh, to see the reaction. I mean, what's amazing about her? She got more votes than Obama did, and Obama carried right. Pennsylvania. So you think right. she'd have a lot Very of popular. popularity? Yeah. Yes, and had a lot of support. I mean, by uh, the governor um, Wolf, our current governor Wolf, and then he. And Rendell, uh, the former governor, and uh, as this stuff kept coming out, they kind of backpedaled on her. Right, that's exactly you know, kind of abandoned her. Why? Because they the McGaffrey, McGaffrey judge. He was a Democrat. She was she was a whistleblower. She wasn't. First, they were saying she was a very partisan. The Republicans were accusing her of being partisan Democrat. And then when she started tripping up some Democrats, Democrats didn't like that either. It, it, it's like people are so um, uh, still uh, identity politics in, in in the United States. Republican Republicans are all right, Democrats are all wrong, and vice versa. Exactly. And we're gonna have to start thinking beyond that two party box. A lot of independents they're growing. Well, we talked about this many. before. Yeah. You know, we've talked about how it's like everything is seems designed to be instigating civil war in America. That's right. That's right. It it, it does seem to be that um, this has been a thing that we've seen in other countries in the past, well, I want to say several years, but I really want to say decades and decades, where you get the people fighting against each other, and then you can come in and, and take over. You have your type of people that you can control, then come in and control the banking system, the land, the resources. That's usually sort of the nexus of the control mechanisms. And now a lot of this is turning back against the United States. I've just been reading the the, uh, new confessions of the economic hitman. And as you know, you know his work where he revealed all the the, uh, uh, warfare and the assassinations coming out of the attempts of the international banks to uh, get countries in debt. And now what he's clearly seeing at this point is the same thing is happening in the United States, the same sort of tactics, and that divide and conquer and stir up people so emotionally against each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, no matter who would have, if, if, if Hillary would have won, uh, the Trump people would have been in the streets. So it just keeps trying to, looks, it looks to me like they're trying to lead us into a bloody civil war in the United States. Um, well, who, who owns um, a big chunk of the U.S. debt? It's the Chinese. You know, you don't have to look too far, I think. 
that apparently the Chinese were saying that they wanted to have the alternative media reigned in in the United States uh, because of the Trump election and how Trump is... The other thing that's happening is who's being elected here in other countries, the Brexit in, in England uh, and maybe Marine Le Pen in France. Some of these people are, are wanting to be nationalists. They don't want these international rules, these international trade agreements. They, they don't want open borders. Yep. Uh, they want to have their sovereignty, mm-hmm. and they want to have their money spent on getting their own problems solved in their own country. So that is a big appeal that people have had, Trump has had. But that's also why he's a threat, because he's not part of that in-crowd uh, that wants to go along with the, the uh, what might, one might say, uh, 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 a new world order of a centralized global government controlled by very few. I'm concerned about his picks, so, though. I mean, what he's going to do, he's, he does seem to be putting all the billionaires in office. Uh, yeah, some of noticed. them have questioned <laughs> the status quo, though. Yeah. Well, um, I had a more general question to ask, and Ryan, again, if you have anything, just feel free. But um, what does this tell you? The Kathleen Kane case seems to be yet another example of somebody with a conscience trying to get inside the system, and there's no one higher than her. She was the top law official in Pennsylvania, she gets right. taken down and humiliated like she doesn't have anything around her. Right. Um, how easy it is to take people down, even when they've got the system's protection around them. So what, yeah. is, what does that say to you in terms of you know working through the system versus doing something else? Well, I, I, I tend to think both and rather than either or, Kevin. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, if you work, like, if... When I ran for Congress, it wasn't with the thought that I had much of a chance to win, but the opportunity presented itself. I was asked to, to do that role, and I thought, well, I'll, I'll, I'll say yes, and I'll see what happens, and I'll see what kind of connections I can make and uh, and uh, the opportunities that I have to talk a bit at that kind of role for a while. So I think when you have an opportunity from inside, you should go for it. Right. And uh, there may be places where from the inside, and I think particularly looking at it's going to come down to the local level, strengthening local government, local local power, local control, local economics. And the power really should flow from the local level up to the higher levels. In my book, it shouldn't be top-down in the world. It should flow from a good, strong-based local economy. That's a fair economy. At the local level, your public officials, you can, you can go to their office easily. You can look them in the eye. You can get to know them. Right. Uh, the local level, you can do um, uh, new kinds of economic networks. You can support organic farmers. You can find out who owns what land where, how much is it worth. Uh, you can do a lot on the local level uh, with, with, with the freedoms that we have just as an individual person. Now, here's a great example. Uh, in Grant Township in Indiana County, Pennsylvania, uh, just a small rural township, with a few thousand, seven, eight thousand people. They were going to have a deep frack wastewater well put in by a corporation, and they really rallied the citizenry against this. Uh, they brought in whatever lawyers they could. They brought in CELDEF, the Community Environmental Legal Defense Fund. They've been managing to push this back now for the past three, four years. One thing they did was get themselves elected as county commissioner. One of the activist women is now not county commissioner, the township supervisor. So she's now in the power position 
township supervisor. The supervisors already were standing with the people, but they passed a local home rule charter that gives the local governance more power than a regular type of incorporation really? for the town. Their so, first the home rule charter, and then they passed the first ever in their home rule charter, they have a rights of nature. Now, Ecuador has a similar rights of nature in their constitution. That was a breakthrough. But this is the first in the United States to have a home rule charter that gives nature rights. In other words, they're water protectors also. They're saying we can't have this well because we could destroy our water quality, and they are all on wells, so it really could destroy their water quality. So they, they tested that in uh, the courts yet? Has there been a case uh, It hasn't been contested yet. It's mm. in their home rule charter. This is kind of where where it's really the power, power thing is really hitting now. It's right on the local level <laughs> fighting these particular battles. Then the third thing they did, they... Uh, that's a law that said anybody that's doing nonviolent civil disobedience will will not be fined or arrested. Jeez, let's <laughs> move there. <laughs> What's the name so, of this place? It, it's in it's in uh, Indiana County, sort of in the central west part of Pennsylvania. It's in my district nine, where I ran for Congress. That's how I started meeting these people. Oh, we should go um, interview it, some of these folks. What? I mean, we yeah, should interview these folks and do a program. Yeah, yeah Judy Wankism, and then uh, her daughter, who's now a supervisor, uh, and the CELDES, Community and Environmental League of Defense Fund. So they have everything they need in terms of local power against this corporation. That If this corporation moves on them, or the state tries to move on them in, in collusion with the corporation, this will be another rallying cry, like come to Grant Township like it was come to... To, to North Dakota. Right, we'll uh, get all those 5,000 folks down in Pennsylvania now. And, yeah, this will be a place where, another place where we will rally. And Good. the capacity to have 300 native tribes come together in Dakota and then so many thousands of other people. And then the big, the other big thing was 2,000 veterans coming and, and actually apologizing. They apologized to the Native people for the genocide that had happened in the Here's United the thing, States. though. It's, it's kind of like the good thing is we've got all this, these people coming together at the grassroots, but ultimately, I mean, the pipeline is still going to go through. Uh, they'll make a deal, they'll pay their fine, and then they'll keep building the pipeline, just like the child rapists will keep trafficking kids, because these are right, big They see it as a, as a cost of doing business. Pardon me? They see it as a cost of doing business. Yes, they oh, do. The fine. Yeah. They're like, we pay the fine and keep going. But what the chief, Archambo, is that how you pronounce the Lakota chief's mm-hmm. name? Yep. He said uh, he said some time ago when all these people were flooding there and it's 300 people from 300 tribes, he said, we've already won. What he meant was the coming together of the people, the strengthening of people, of we the people, the, the capacity of the courage of nonviolent civil disobedience, and to then bring in the media attention, yes, alternative media attention, but it was breaking through to mainstream media attention. Uh, he said, we've already won. And that is what will have us win these battles is the people waking up and taking their stand. Absolutely. And just as interesting that just the day that the 2,000 veterans were arriving was when Obama announced, he announced, oh, we're not going to allow this, we're not going to permit this pipeline. And yes, you're right. It could be a lie. It could be manipulation. They would just pay the fine and keep going. Well, that's but he still the... had to respond. Right. No, I get that. Uh, they they always have a loophole. It's like when Union Carbide 
killed 3,000 people in India, they paid their fine and never did a day in jail. It's like Ryan says, part of their business that you just pay these fines. It doesn't stop the problem. It doesn't change the problem, but it creates, starts building a momentum that one day could stop it. Absolutely. Well, look what you're doing with the common law courts. Mm-hmm. You're making the capacity for people to make a very clear case, present all the evidence, just as you did with all the evidence of the genocide in Canada. Mm-hmm. So that is a mechanism to present all the evidence, and then it's a matter of the people siding with the people, of the people, of the military, of the police, you know, of the people of goodwill coming together and standing up against the corruption. That's until when revolution the happens. right people get arrested, you know, until the <laughs> exactly. criminals get arrested. Well, I was going to ask you about that, because in America, the county sheriffs are elected by the people. So we could get these county sheriffs performing arrests on known child-raping priests, on these guys who evade justice, on anybody, right? Absolutely true. That's right. That is a, that is a position uh, that has local power, that has the potential to be, be really used for the people. And, in fact, a friend of mine who's a chair of the Democratic Party in my county, her son ran for office, and now he's in that position. Good. Yeah. Take back the nation. Yeah. And then the other thing is, because we have our uh, jurisdiction based on precincts, which is the most local level politically, mm-hmm. we start got to start getting the Democratic and Republican people Meetings, having public meetings in the precincts where they talk about these really big issues or they're prepared to act on some basis of what's a crisis in their community. And they're, they're, they're now seeing, to see themselves as the people responding to the corruption in the corporations or in the higher levels of government and not being identified <laughs> as primarily any particular political party. And it's easy to get all the names and addresses of the people in your whole precinct and to find a school or some place to meet. Well, you know, that's so that would the, be real local organizing, huh? I think the exciting thing about what happened around Bernie Sanders was that there was a third-party movement that for the first time in 100 years looked like it was coalescing in America, and it's still out there, but we need to cut across both party lines and bring people together on a new basis. And the same is true in Canada, too, where, of course, we don't have any of these Republican traditions, right, of common uh, law and, and people's own, you know, electing sheriffs and that kind of thing. We have to create it new here, but it's oh, the same story, right? Yeah. 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 Um, the other uh, maybe hopeful thing, if we can survive long enough, is the younger generations are more likely to be independent or third party people. Mm-hmm. So the major parties in the United States, I think they're both losing power. Yep. Um, but when I look at alternative media, I still see. Even though they're aware of the corruption of the major parties, Kevin, I still see them. The, the alternative right is bashing the left and calling them levitards, liberal retards, liberal, uh, liberal yeah. retards. It's and crazy. the right, and the left bashes the right. So <laughs> there mm-hmm. has to be, I mean, a bird flies on two wings. That's my. <laughs> right. There, and is, the brain there wouldn't be a right and left if there wasn't some value in the right and the left. That's and important. the brain operates from both spheres, the right and the left And the brain, brain operates from the right and left side of the brain. <laughs> and so the polarity is that needs to be harmonized right. is the individual and society. Yes. Or is freedom, that's the right, and fairness, that's the left. Right. And so it's to have uh, an economic system that understands property rights, what's 
yours, what's mine, what's ours, what do we share? And there, there, that's what that's what my my major life work is, is a, a economic system that says what is ours to share is what has been created by nature or by the creator, which is the land and resources and the water, everything that humans don't make. The rules have to fairly share those land and resources. That's ours. What's yours is what you work for. If you grow a garden, I shouldn't come and take your vegetables. That would be theft. Nor That's should mine you be what I work for. <laughs> Nor should your income or what you make should be taxed either. Exactly. Exactly. So it's untaxed uh, labor and production, the right like that kind of thing. Then what you've got to collect for the public finance base for what's ours is what we is created by nature, land, water, resources. But then as humans draw upon those resources, there's a surplus value. And this is where it's really interesting. Karl Marx got onto this by the third book in Das Kapital. He talked about, ooh, it looks like the landowner is more the problem than the capitalist. The capitalist monopoly comes out of those previous land problems. So he called it surplus value accruing to land and resources. Adam Smith called it unearned income. Right. If it's income that an individual is receiving that they haven't earned, that is unearned. If it's not earned by that individual, then they see that this is called rent. It's economic rent. Thomas Paine talked about this. Thomas Paine. Yeah. He yeah. said that every landowner owes to society a land rent for the land which he holds. Now, Do you want to give a little plug left, for Mr. Give a little plug huh? for Mr. George. We've only got about five minutes left, but okay. Well, I'll just finish this little piece. On the okay. left, this looks like land reform, addressing the concentration of ownership of land and resources. But on the right, you can call it private property for all. <laughs> right. So this is where Henry George got us out of the box completely. Yeah, he and 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 spending his time as a young man and growing up trying to understand wealth inequality in the United States. We're looking at the the nineteen 70s, 80s, and then he wrote his great work, Progress and Poverty, and he said, essentially, we must make land common property. He didn't mean you can't have private land tenure in terms of that piece of paper that says your private land use, but he meant we have to have the consciousness that that land is a common property. Right. So then he uh, rediscovered a perennial wisdom teaching around land tenure and tax policy, and it traces back to where Thomas Paine was talking about, the French physiocrats uh, who wanted to impose a land tax in, in, in before the French Revolution. didn't happen. The revolution happened, and the kings lost their heads. And then it goes back, another colleague found in research, thousands of years to a period in India, India when they had this form of public finance policy. And then you look at China. What you do, you can look through thousands of years and societies that that really held the understanding and the policies to share the land and resources. They had fair economies. They had high cultures. They didn't have people in prison everywhere. They didn't right. have the kind of crime that we have. So well, we've only got a very minutes. great movement. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt because this, really, this is all really vital, and I actually want to carry on, and maybe we can come back in the future. We can find out more about those local folks in Pennsylvania and what they're doing, and you can have more of a platform to talk about all of this. But, uh, sure, that'd be great. Any final comments or uh, things you want to say to people about Kathleen Kane or anything we've talked about this hour? Well, I want to thank you for having me on. And to to everybody else, essentially we have to really keep connecting the dots 
that's what's important here. We shouldn't be, we might have to take on individual uh, cases, individual uh, battles that we fight, but we always have to see that these are all connected to the um, the uh, corrupt use of power, and uh, and it threads through so many, many areas. So to look at something like taxation policy and the pedophile problem might seem like a stretch, but uh, there's ways to connect it in terms of the abuse of power. Well, it's all about big money, too, and, and child trafficking is big money. Yeah. <laughs> um, do, now, are you going to make an effort to get a hold of Kathleen? I'd love to have Kathleen Kane on the show. Oh We're going to make gosh. an effort to do that. I am. I am. Let's do that. I mean, you know, okay. I have a couple of numbers, and I'll keep trying to see Excellent. if I can, can get a hold of her. I'm very interested in, okay. in a connection with her directly, Kevin. Yeah, definitely. Ryan, any final comments or questions to Alana? Hello, Ryan. I believe that everything that... Oh, go ahead. I believe that everything that needed to be said this evening was said, and I think that I'll reserve the right to be silent. Sometimes that's the best form of uh, best form of opinion. Oh, fine. Um, so, Alana, uh, we want to thank you once again for coming on. Uh, as always, you carry it on, and uh, we'll talk to you real soon about this. And, okay, and hopefully you're welcome. Having Kathleen. Uh-huh. Thanks a lot, Alana. You're welcome. Good night. Bye-bye, Alana. Bye. Talk to you real soon. And uh, that was Alana Hartzog from South Central Pennsylvania. For you folks who want to get a hold of Alana or maybe in the area, write to us, Republic of Kanata, K-A-N-A-T-A, republicofkanata at gmail.com, and uh, we will definitely connect you up. Um, Also, there's, like I mentioned earlier in the show, um, over the next couple of weeks, we've had a number of requests to do a rehash of the year, the top kind of stories of, of 2016. The books we published this year, which are all very important resources, which we'll go into. So we'll do that over the next couple of weeks as well. Um, remember Maisie Shaw on December 25th, who was murdered. Uh, her story breaking the news is really what opened up the whole residential school genocide crime over 20 years ago. So we're going to do that. And uh, Ryan, any other thoughts or things you want to mention coming up? Nope, I have a radio show this evening myself, live at 9 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. I'm going to be discussing this topic as well as what has been considered to be fake news, but I'm going to go into a history of fake news and psychological operations aimed to deter people away from what is considered truth. You can listen tonight at 9 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. best way to find that information is by going to my website, www.thesecretteaching.info. You can find ways to contact me past and present and future shows as well as ways to listen or well as ways to listen. Thank you, Kevin. And tonight was a very excellent show. People need to do their own investigation though, and not just listen to shows like this and think that they've done their due diligence. Okay, and uh, one one other point I wanted to flag for people too is uh, something that came up kind of tangentially tonight, but which is very important is the patterns when public officials like her can be taken down so quickly and easily. Um, it's coming from a powerful source. And one of the things I want to flag on that, since it does fit the pattern, is the activity of a group called the Holy Alliance, which is the Vatican Espionage Service. It's actually the agency that killed Pope John Paul I in 1978 when he was uncovering the mob connection to the Vatican Bank. Um, It operates in the United States very extensively. In fact, when you look at the history 
of the Holy Alliance. It was established by Pius V in the late 16th century to try to assassinate Queen Elizabeth, uh, who was seen as the, you know, kind of the thorn in the side of the of the Vatican in Europe at the time. Um, and so this has a long history, and the way they operate and everything, we're going to be doing more research on that and show how they operate in a situation where Kathleen Kane was showing the we're about to open the lid on how this criminal solicitanus policy operates up close. And they prevented that from happening by getting rid of her, but it's coming from that source in Rome as one of the major sources. And we're going to explore that in more detail in the future. Um, also, just a final uh, message to people to, uh, you know, you can't understand this work in a three-minute soundbite. You've got to do your research. Uh, in terms of this whole religious aspect of genocide, we've documented very thoroughly in our books. Um, especially murderbydecree.com, that's Murder by Decree, the Crime of Genocide in Canada, filled with a lot of documents and, and other materials. So please go to that online. You can order our books at Amazon.com, Unrelenting, Murder by Decree, and um, Truth Teller Shield, uh, a manual for whistleblowers. And also, as I mentioned, this week we're publishing a fourth book, uh, History of White People in Canada. It's kind of like a a comical satire piece on on my people, the Canadian Euro Canadians, and where we came from and where we're going. So uh, we'll have a message about that. You can see this week at itccs.org. We'll have a notice about that. So on behalf of Ryan and uh, all the other loyal members here, uh, I want to thank you all for tuning in, and uh, tune in next week as well. Uh, please make this a regular habit. And those groups of you out there who are listening in. Uh, Decide how you want to act on these ideas and and uh, inspirations that you've received here in the show. Please write to us, republicofkanata at gmail.com, and we can connect you up with our wider movement. So until next week, I want to thank you all again. And until next week, be strong and stay clear. Thank you, brothers and sisters. All right, this is the last thing you're going to hear tonight. It's a happy song, but it's um, got it's complicated words, so just listen really hard. Fuck the motherfucker, fuck the motherfucker, fuck the motherfucker, he's a fucking motherfucker. Fuck the motherfucker, fuck the motherfucker.